I'm Travis Daly, and you're listening to Fishing with a Fly, where I interview experts in the fly fishing industry. Eric Tui joins us in this episode to talk about fly fishing for muskie. Eric runs a guide business, Catch and Capture, in northern Wisconsin, and if anything rivals his passion for muskie fishing, it's his passion for photography and capturing that once-in-a-lifetime experience for his guests. You're in for a treat with this episode. Let's jump in. Hey, Eric. Uh, thanks for sitting down with us today. Before we get into uh, the muskie fishing, go ahead and tell us a little bit about how you got into fly fishing. All right, uh, Travis. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. Um, well, I guess, uh, you know, fishing just in general. And when I was younger, you know, I just I didn't have a huge draw to fly fishing at first. And kind of was that you know, what I saw like on TV or the exposure that I had, you know, I thought it was like old guys in tweed and, you know, it's just, it's way different. And so, um, I got first exposed to it, um, you know, in, uh, Minneapolis area where I grew up and at a fishing show and they had a whole section that was just dedicated to fly. They had the casting pond, um, guys were, you know, rolling on their vice, you know, tying flies and, Seeing that in person definitely got me hooked from the get-go. Um, I was about 15, so right from there, I was just, I mean, today a candy store, just like all over it, wanted to get a rod up as soon as possible, and started mowing lawns, working my butt off, you know, trying to get that set up, and uh, I got my first rod set up, a five-weight, and just kind of started doing the trout thing, and then, you know, as as an angler, you know, you kind of progress sometimes to fish, uh other various species and sometimes bigger species and um kind of by the time i was heading off to college i was already doing a little bit of everything with a fly rod except i was still gear fishing for muskies and uh that would have been kind of 07 and i started reading about um guys doing it for you know muskies on a fly and uh kind of started doing a little bit more research and kind of yeah, a few teaching with some folks here with, you know, kind of the early stages of the sport, you know, it's kind of still, I mean, you guys have been doing it for 20 plus years, but it was still whispered about, you know, even gosh, five, six, seven years ago, really. That is very true. It just kind of now just like popped up the recent years and all these articles have been released. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So you kind of got started in it, right? When it was going to, before it got popular. Before it's like actually I mean, chasing with a, a fly rod. Yeah, I think you know, like I said, you know, there's guys that have chased fish, you know, with you know muskies in particular with a fly rod. I mean, you know, there's there's it, you can date it back to 20, 30 years ago easily, mm-hmm. and maybe even beyond that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, you know. And I think though, just with the fact of you know social media outlets and things that you know are. Uh, daily, like these things are daily broadcasted, you know, it's so much easier to get this stuff out there. And I think that's, and it's helped with the exposure of fly fishing for muskie and having that grow as a sport, which is great, you know, and, and, you know, with the fly chain that goes with that and, you know, everything that goes hand in hand with that. So it's definitely, um, you know, been fortunate to be kind of a little bit of, you know, part of it when it was still, you know, kind of people were tiptoeing into it and then really starting to see it, you know, blow up and, and, you know, guys really getting into the predator game. That's awesome. 
Yeah, so can you go yeah. ahead and explain just the, the basic setup for fly fishing for muskie? Like the rod and the reel and line that you would actually need? Absolutely. So, uh, anything a gecko, uh, you know, 10 weight is kind of the staple, um, in my opinion, uh, to our sport. Um, the, you can go down to, uh, you know, like a nine weight, which is great for throwing, uh, single hook musky flies. Um, uh, from there, the 10 weight though, and that, uh, the versatility that it has for the action of, you know, all the options of lines, you know, there's going to be tons of different capacities to be able to achieve different things with our flies. But, um, you know, it's really critical on how we uh, fight and handle these fish. So, you know, guys, I've, I've had guys ask me, well, why could, couldn't you catch a muskie, you know, could I muskie fish with my seven way? It's like, well, sure, you absolutely could. And, you know, especially if they're, say, even a small fish, but it's so vital for us to um, practice safe catch and release and let these fish grow, you know, bigger and, you know, let them swim another day and be a part of the ecosystem. And um, so the 10 weight is definitely critical in that. Just, um, you know, we're able to put a little bit more backbone into our rod. Um, it's also going to help us with casting some of these larger flies, especially when we get into, say, if you have windier conditions. Um, yeah, so the versatility of a 10 weight is great in that aspect. Um, and following, you know, uh, you know, lots of options out there, uh, you know, all the way from our floating lines, and they're creating these floating lines with big heads on them, you know, kind of like almost like a scadget style, yeah. little big shooting lines. And then, you know, we have our inter intermediate tips and full intermediate lines. And all the way down to, you know, a really big cannon, you know, sinking line, you know, 400, 500 grains, you know, down to, you know, 350, 300 grains. And um, so it's, it's, uh, borrowed a lot from saltwater, but they're starting to, you know, really recognize the sport even greater now. And, um, there, you know, there's some specialty lines out there that are kind of, you can see hit the market and, um, yeah, which is great. So then I guess, you know, our fly lane will dictate what we want to do with, you know, for our flies and how, you know, top water or, you know, something like that surface like a streamer. And then, um, and then from there, off our fly line. Um, now this is not the end of the office. It's just what I prefer, what I like to use, what I'm going to hand my plant and my boat. Um, I run straight 40 pound fluorocarbon right off my fly. And um, in particular, Seagar, a lot of other companies out there that, you know, you can get your hands on readily from most, you know, bait or tackle shops or your local fly shop. Um, and then from there, I run uh, down with, I do everything with loop-to-loop connections. I want to be able to keep everything super easy and quick. So if I need to change out the core carbon, I can change that out. And then from there, I go down to my bite wire. So I use bite wire. Um, some guys like to use fluorocarbon. It's a little bit of preference, but it's a heartbreaking thing when you see, you know, a mid 40 inch fish, you know, bite you off on 80 pound fluorocarbon. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's something that, you know, you want to eliminate. So I run wire, uh, 40 pound wire coated, and definitely want something that's coated. Um, it's got to be tieable. So, uh, Rio makes a great wire out there. Um, 
in their bite wire stuff, and uh, the American Fishing Wire, Toothy Critter, um, the list kind of goes on, and um, lots of options that are available uh, for us to get our hands on and be able to utilize. Mm-hmm. And from there off, yeah, I actually will use another loop, you know, basically a perfection loop. Um, I'll take it's a stay lock. Um, it was originally a stay lock with the company, but must have bought them out in the past year or so. And it's a, it's a snap clevis. So it's, it's a real strong, heavy duty clevis. Um, kind of nice, small, thin profile to it, so it's not too obnoxious like, like you might see on some of these uh, gear musky leaders. So um, it's a number three that I use. It seems to fit really well for, you know, uh, two-aught hooks that you're going to see very typically in our uh, fly patterns and other size hooks. So um, that is going to allow us to switch flies out really quickly um, without cutting in their wire. So, um, you know, you can tie directly on, but at the end of the day, you're going to go through a spool of wire pretty quick after changing out flies. (laughs) And some clippers. You'll probably wear those out pretty quick, too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you mentioned a uh, perfection loop. Is there a reason you go with that rather than like a uh, surgeon's loop or anything like, like the other kinds of loops? Is there a reason you picked yeah, that? Yeah, I or mean, just more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, you could do like a saltwater loop knot and stuff like that. Um, I've just found that you know um, the perfection loop is super easy to tie. Um, it's pretty forgiving to be able to tie that with, you know, whether it's heavy pound fluoro or it's bite wire. Um, it's really easy to be able to tie that. So, yeah. and once you get the hang of it, you can do it with your eyes, you know, you can do it with your eyes closed. Yeah, okay. Um, the nice thing about that then too is, you know, you can see for sure if that is tied hundred percent properly because that tag end will actually stick out of the knot and it should actually be sticking out 90 degrees or, you know, 90 degrees off of the line. So, I mean, it'll be straight out. So basically you know that that's not going to slip out on you. It's not going to come undone on you. Um, and you're able to clip it, real, that tag end, really, really close to the knot without mm-hmm. having too much forgiveness on that and having something, you know, come undone for you. Um, so I think just the simplicity of it, um, I guess, you know, you could probably look at it on knot strength under, like, knot wars and stuff like that. Um, I know it's yeah. a real high tensile knot strength, so... Um, yeah, it's just, it's something that works for me and some guys, you know, like to use a Albright from their, you know, mm-hmm. their fluorocarbon to their bite wire and that's just fine too. But uh, Hey, it's super quick and easy, just loop to loop and everything. Yeah, I agree. And you were mentioning about the, uh, the line types, like doing the floating and inter- intermediate and sinking. Does that dependent on the season or what kind of makes you like go with a certain line type? Yeah, yeah. So, um, going with your lines, yeah, season definitely dictates a little bit of, uh, you know, what what we're going to do during the time of the year. Um, at least for me and my circumstance, you know, I'm I'm on the lake program. I'm guiding and fishing lakes uh, is pretty much my majority of what I do. So, um, with that being said, you know, our flies are very neutrally buoyant. 
you know, we utilize a lot of deer hair and some of these other synthetics and other materials into that. And so we need something that's going to sink the fly somewhat. And, you know, if we want it over the top of cabbage weeds or, uh, or if we want to be able to get that fly way deep off of, you know, break lines and break edges off of weed edges and such. But, um, so our fly line will dictate how we want to, you know, present our fly, how deep we might want to present our fly. Because if you throw a musky fly on a floating line, and if there's no weight on that fly, like it will probably stay pretty much on top of the water. And unless that's what you're trying to achieve fishing, say like a real dense, dense weed bed, you know, it's, that's not exactly what we want to be able to do. So we need to have that fly somewhat in the strike zone. Hmm. Okay. Makes, makes but a lot time of, of the year, that's really, yeah, time of the year, though, I mean, you know, I could start off fishing uh, intermediates and single-hook fly patterns in the beginning of the year and all the way through the summer and well into, you know, the fall. It's a, a intermediate, a full intermediate line with a single-hook musky fly is part on probably one of the most effective, you know, setups, you, you know, especially for someone starting out, um, I think is absolutely great. Uh as you get into your sinking lines, you know, some of our flies, we might use, you know, big ear hair heads or, you know, where it's spun tightly packed to push water. Some guys like myself, you know, we might spin up some foam to be able to create, you know, a foam head. We're using like blame shockets method of flux tubing for the head and body. And so these are just ways of how we manipulate the fly. And, you know, a lot of times like from the fall, I need to, I need to, I need to get a fly 10 feet down you know i need to have that thing fishing deep and so that's where these big sinking lines really come in handy oh nice so the intermediate would be the way to go is like an all-around just musky fishing line to kind of suit you yeah okay i think starting out i think starting out i think that's great you could go intermediate tip most intermediate tips will be um you know your running line etc will be uh somewhat floating so you you could run top water flies with that um my other suggestion kind of jumping back to the leader setup um you know for me i like running you know i run a pretty short leader section these fish aren't line shy if you're on act if you have active fish they are going to eat they will move 25 feet for a fly there's no doubt about that and uh and that's one one tail kick so i run generally right around three three and a half feet long overall with my fluorocarbon and bite wire together as a leader um if you're fishing the rivers though um something i wanted to add with that leader setup was uh you know a break uh break break section in that leader so some guys will run about like a 20 or 25 pound break section off the fly line before they start their leader setup just so you're not if you were to snag up on say like a big log or rock and there's no way you're getting that back you can break that section of line and, you know, unfortunately lose your fly and leader set up, but you're yeah. not breaking your fly line. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's smart. So when you're casting that intermediate line and bite guard, is there like a specific way you're casting to get it turned over? Or is it just like chucking and ducking? No, I mean, there's, there's kind of a couple different strokes that you're seeing in the musky fly casting world now. Um, you're, you're seeing some guys, if you look up, you know, the big, world record muskie that was caught off from Lax here just this last year on a fly rod. Um, that they use a method of water loading. So they're 
kind of getting the fly out and back casting, letting that touch the water so it's water loading it and then they're shooting it forward. That is one application that could be used. Um, for me, a big part of this sport is actually casting. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I thoroughly enjoy casting, but casting efficiently. So the double haul is definitely uh, something to learn. So you're, you know, these are fish, as they say, of 10,000 casts. So yeah. <laughs> let's try and uh, not expel as much energy as possible, but it's all tempo. Um, you know, if you, I like to kind of compare it to a golf swing. You know, you're not going to go up to the tee box and just try and crank it out of the park because if you do, you're going to be <laughs> way left or right. So <laughs> if you keep a nice, slow, and easy tempo, definite stop. Um, is very key in your back and forward cast. And if you blend that into your double haul, um, you're going to be able to shoot some line pretty easily. Uh, these 10 way lines, you know, and intermediates and stuff like that, they have a pretty good size head in them. So yeah. they're, they're really able to rock it out there. Um, uh, no doubt. So awesome. I guess let's go ahead and dive into, uh, the flies that you like to use. Do you have any like specific patterns? Or do you just basically tie it up to match the, the local bait fish that those muskies are feeding on? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, there's, there's something to look at. Um, I think with uh, your forage base is, you know, matching the hats. It's no different when you're going out trout fishing or anything like that. Um, definitely a critical aspect. Um, water clarity is a huge aspect um sometimes uh for whatever reason at least in our part of the country you know you could be fishing one lake that's gin clear and you know drive across the road and you're fishing tannic tannic water um i've had really good luck though for whatever reason with purple and you know like an olive like kind of kelly green you know, I don't know why, but that color just seems to have been a producer for me. Um, you know, in our forest space, we have, uh, you know, obviously all the other game fish that, you know, these muskies will eat, but primarily their food source where we're at is suckers. So uh, any okay. sucker type patterns are that makes huge. sense in all of them. Um, yeah. Soft body bait fish, I mean, is, is create, it's, Critical. I mean, I know guys that have seen a muskie with a crappie in its mouth and they'll see a sucker dart by and they'll go and crush, they'll drop the crappie and go and, you know, grab that sucker minnow because <laughs> they know it's an easier food source for them to digest. And so, um, yeah, so match the hatch a little bit. Water clarity is definitely key. Sometimes the uh, daylight, you know, just with what is our available light in the sky. So, um, is it cloudy? Is it, you know, is it really overcast or is it a bluebird day? That kind of does play a role, but we do have some staples like colors to the, you know, from that we've borrowed from the gear side of things where guys have been fishing, you know, black and orange is definitely a great color just to have in the box. Um, all white, uh, is definitely an outstanding color to have in the box. Uh, walleye color, uh, et cetera, uh, fire tigers, uh, key, you know, key color to be able to have. Awesome. Have you experimented with, uh, like putting like rattles in your flies or like those little spinners that you see that conventional fishermen use on those big musky patterns? Sure. Um, yeah. So I guess 
a lot of, um, I'll throw rattles in on the occasion. Uh, try to stay away from glass rattles cause they'll break eventually. <laughs> um, but you know, conventional rattles that you might find for like bass fishing, you know, for on the gear side, you can throw those into your fly patterns. Um, you know, I don't really touch base on any like blades or anything like that. Um, just because you're adding a lot of weight that you're having to cast. Um, so I, I tend to stay away from that. Um, there are some kind of, uh, fly tying, uh, like, uh, oversized grub tails, I'll call them. Uh, I think Cohen, uh, Cohen does a variation of it. There's a couple other, uh, misfit fly tying, which is kind of through one's, uh, fly shop in river falls. They got some stuff that they use and I'll, you know, incorporate it into my flies just to have something different. Um, so kind of going back to the flies and what I tie, you know, a benchmark pattern is definitely, you know, reverse tying bucktail. Uh, we're able to sparsely tie bucktail in, um, you know, reverse tying it where it's actually comb, you comb the, the material backwards and you create a dam of thread that will, you know, allow for that to rest and stay in place. Mm-hmm. Um, that is definitely a huge aspect to it for you know, the, the big long swapping, um, you know, whether it's from writing or whomever, uh, for our tails, uh, you know, flash and tinsel, other just, you know, fibers that we can, you know, synthetics that we can use to cut down on any form of water weight is, you know, outstanding to use. Um, but, and then also, like Blaine's uh, sockets, you know, he's used uh, like the flex tubing. Um, that's an outstanding way to build really big fly profiles with, you know, using the right amount of materials. And, you know, therefore, then you're not having as much water weight. You're able to have a fly that, you know, you're going to push a lot of water and then also, you know, create a big silhouette. So the biggest thing is for us, we really need to have this fly swim. You know, it's no doubt unless you would eat, you know, say like an oversized, you know, longer type leech looking pattern, but we want this left right action. We want the head bobs and turns and, and how it rolls and how we can pause it because most fish see that side profile. That's what that's what's going to trigger that lateral line in them mm-hmm. to feed. So. Yeah, so do you see muskie as more of an ambush predator, or are they out there actually hunting, swimming around, looking for uh, looking for some food? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that they're going to, you know, lay down in the dentist, you know, swap of weeds, and, you know, where you'd have no idea, and they're, I mean, it's like a jungle down there, and they'll come up out of nowhere and pounce. Um, you know, they'll they'll move and continually, you know, move around to find the basics, you know, and what, you know, their food source is and to hunt and eat like that. And they're opportunistic feeders. So it's any given time that they could possibly come up and hammer a fly, you know, like, you know, I've had fish, you know, middle of the day, blueberry skies, you know, yeah. I didn't know her. And there, there she is active, ready, ready to eat. So. Oh, wow. So how how do you go about finding um, muskie in like lakes and rivers? If you're if you're like new to that spot, how do you go about finding muskie in that new uh, body of water? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, river wise, I mean, they could be, I mean, just about damn near anywhere. I mean, not to say that they're going to be in always six inches of water in a ripple run. There could be a fish in there. They're, they will sit in shallow water, ripple runs behind rocks, in front of rocks, and feed. There's no doubt about that. Generally speaking, you know, almost how we might approach like smallies or, uh, you know, trout too, where in a river circumstance, you know, our big deep pools, our slack water, you know, eddies and edges, you know, where um, they're able to not expel too much energy and, you know, have a lot of food sources swimming by them and to be able to ambush. Um, you know, my game being the lake thing, uh, a lot of it is dictated by time of the year, water temperature. Um, so in our early part of the year, you know, we're, we're able to kind of pick and choose the lakes that, you know, um, are going to be warming the, the soonest. So with the water warming, uh, up a little bit more, being a, say, a smaller body of water, generally speaking, we'll have earlier weed growth. So the first signs of finding any cabbage or coontail weeds or anything like that, you know, is great. That's where you want to be. That's where you're going to find active fish around that stuff. And then as we kind of get into, you know, summer, midsummer, like we're sitting in now, you know, that 72 to 74 is, I mean, usually by then we're in full force, you know, for water temps and fish are extremely active and they're going to be on cabbage, on leaves. Um, frontal changes can vary this too, where they might lay up in sand, you know, where if we had a big cold front, but that sun is shining, it might be warming up like that sand flat or rock flat where they're able to, you know, eat and they're able to lay and, uh, you know, digest their food and get ready for another meal. Um, as we are still <clears throat> transitioning into the time of the year in, from summer to fall, you know, that will still be uh, weeds, no doubt, but uh, really sometimes picking out transition lines. So where a weed line might transition to, say, rock or gravel, um, you know, all those things are variables with that. And uh, then from there into the fall, you know, those transition lines can be really key, you know, points with rock and gravel and weeds and such that all attract these fish to, you know, for an area that they're going to hunt. Um, and as the time here continues and progresses, sometimes we're pushing out way deep. Um, and lake turnover is another huge, huge factor of everything. So time of the year, water temperature, uh, it all plays a huge role in where we might start fishing. Okay. Makes sense. So like once you, once you found the muskie and got a bite, is there a special way that you go about landing um, the muskie? Like do you use nets or? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've, you know, can, you know, manhandle the fish where, you know, oh gosh, uh, we forgot the net today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, type of thing. Yeah. But, um, it's something that's possible, but, uh, you know, really it's critical having a good landing net. Um, so when you get an active fish and say that active fish eats, um, we, we use a saltwater strip set. Um, it's, it, that's absolutely key. They have a really strong structure to their mouth. So you yeah. got to drive those hooks home. So 
guitar hooks are so key. Uh, from there, uh, it's set, and we actually really don't use the reel other than just to hold the, our fly line. Uh, we're not putting the fish on a reel. Um, the only thing being, even though we have these great large arbor reels, these fish are, you know, they can turn a dime and turn right to the boat and smash as they want to. Mm-hmm. And we need to be able to set them line as quick as possible and keeping a tight line to that fish. So uh, we're basically stripping in the line to be able to, and fighting that fish and um, keeping a, ro- a low rod tip is huge. We don't, you know, we don't want that fish to come up out of the water and be tail dancing and trying to throw hooks. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes we'll actually just bury the rod down in the, into the water and, you know, have, you know, half your fly rod in the water and fighting this fish just to keep her down from coming up. Hmm. Um, so as we fight the fish in, uh, you know, having a good adequate size net and there's a lot of great nets out on the market. Um, good net sack on it so it's it's deep enough it's big enough to be able to land this fish and the point is so once we land this fish that fish is in the net bag it's we don't care if she throws hooks while she's in the bag she could still be green where she's real pissed off and active still but she's in a in in the water she's wet she's not you know there's nothing left for her to harm her and you know she's a landed fish so then we can then proceed to safely remove the hooks from the fish. Um, and that's where our tools, tools of the trade are so critical. And those are going to be a long needle nose pliers of some sort, jaw spreaders. We will always have a hook cutter with us. It's almost like a miniature, um, uh, you know, bolt cutter almost in a sense. Uh, very sharp. So in case that we do need to cut hooks, if that fish, you know, absolutely inhaled that fly. We want to ensure the vitality, you know, the, that that fish is going to survive and swim again another day. Um, and that's where we will stay away from saltwater hooks. We don't want to use those just because they're going to be tough to cut. Say if you lost the fly, if you expect that fish's face for a long time and could impede its uh, ability to feed again yeah. in the future. So, uh, then the next thing, once we have that fish, you know, you know, flies out of its mouth, you know, we're able to pull that fish up. We need to be careful handling this fish. So we might use our one hand inside the gills, which we do need to be careful of because of the teeth and the size of the teeth. And, you know, the gills itself, you can get gill rake on your knuckles. Um, the other hand, we always are supporting that body. We never want to really like this vertical hold of musky. Um, we want to support that body weight with that other hand mm-hmm. indefinitely. Or there's other routes to, uh, you know, hold the back end of the tail with one hand and support the other half of her body and her head with uh, the opposite hand. So, and really quick, you know, you're just going to get a measurement if possible. We always have a bump board or some type of measuring device available ready to go. If you possible and you want to get a picture, have a friend ready, anything set up, just have it ready to go, get that picture, get that fish released. Yeah. Yeah, I know your, uh, your I guess your second passion is photography. So how, how do you yeah. go about setting up those shots for your clients whenever they land, basically that, that fish of a lifetime? 
since most people don't get a fish yeah. in much. Um, well, I mean, there's a kind of a beautiful thing with DSLRs nowadays that we can, uh, you know, see the image in the back of our camera right away. <laughs> Uh, when you know, right after we take a photograph, um, and there's the ability to have it on auto or have it on, you know, shutter or aperture priority, which is outstanding. Um, for me, uh, just with my background in photography, I shoot in all manual mode, so uh, it's a little bit of fine tuning and just knowing how a camera works. And mm-hmm. okay, well, I know with the time of the day and what I need to do with the available light. I kind of try to get that set up, you know, sometimes even before we're, even when we're just fishing, you know, I'm fishing my clients, I'll take the camera, I'll get a couple test shots even. And then I know, okay, well, all right, this looks about right. And then it's always just minor, you know, just minor little adjustments and fine tunings, you know, when we land a fish, if, if even, and uh, just getting that picture really quick. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Eric, yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks again for uh, sitting down and talking with us about musky. Before we yeah, sign off, uh, where where can everybody find you? Do you have a website to show in, that include or? Yeah, yeah. So um, you can uh, find me at uh, my website catchandcapture.com, which is uh, my guide services along with photographic services. So as well as with the guiding, um, I do provide uh, you know shooting throughout the time of your trip and your experience. I give my client the option of, you know, unique uh, album that, you know, they're able to, uh, you know, have at home, have at their desk, at their office, or wherever that may be, to be able to, you know, have a little bragging rights, we'll put it, <laughs> you know? And so um, yeah, yeah. So it's just something a little bit unique and different uh, to give offer as an option for uh, anyone that decides to come up to northern Wisconsin and do this with me. Um, you can also find me out on some of the social media avenues. So Instagram, uh, you'll find me out there and as well as Facebook. And what are those handles? Say that again? Uh, what are the handles for Instagram and in uh, Facebook? Oh, yeah. Uh, Instagram catch. will be uh, Catch and Capture. And uh, you can find my, you know, I'm, I have a personal page, just Eric Tui, T-H-U-E, uh, on Facebook. But then as well, you know, definitely uh, seek out uh, the Catch and Capture fan page and, you know, give it a big thumbs up. And, um, you know, I try to keep some stuff, you know, frequent or posted, you know, to uh, give people a little bit of update of, what's up here, what's going on, and some fish being caught. and Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Sounds good. I'll drop all that in uh, the show notes for this post. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out the show notes at fishingwithafly.com forward slash podcast for all the links, products, and tips. Also, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes.